I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 319. And today in the show, Dan and I are breaking down our 2019 rut hunts, my first success on the back 40, our efforts to better balance hunting and family, and our hard-learned lessons from another rut-hunting grind. Okay, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. This is, for me, the episode where I breathe this big sigh of relief. Like, rutcation has passed. The grind, at least for me, has come to an end. I've slept in a, an hour or two later than I have been for most of the last three <laughs> weeks. I finally don't feel like a zombie. <laughs> I imagine you might be in the same place, Dan. I um, am exactly the opposite, my friend. Oh, <laughs> like you're waking dude, up earlier. I go, no, I'm not waking up earlier. I'm just getting more sleep on my rut vacation. Cause of kids, kids. Yes. Uh, when I was out hunting, you know, I'm spending time at my mom's or at my, my family home. That's where my camp is, my, you know, deer camp is. And so when you go to bed at nine, 10 o'clock, and then you wake up at four every morning, uh, you get seven to six hours of continuous sleep. Last night, uh, I went to bed at like 10 and was woken up multiple times and, uh, had to wait, you know, it's, it's just, it's crazy, but I, I am now back into zombie mode here in, <laughs> at my house. I guess I'm lucky. My son sleeps right through the night. And so I'll be, you usually get, you know, he'll usually sleep till seven in the morning. He'll go down at like eight, sleep till seven. So don't ever say that to me within striking distance because I, <laughs> I'll probably punch you right in your mouth. I hate it when other parents are like, oh, what? Your kids don't sleep to the night and mine does. <laughs> it sounds like a parenting issue, though. It's got to be it, Dan. <laughs> it's, yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> uh, so I will avoid making that comment anymore. But <laughs> the, uh, the game plan for today, other than making you feel really bad about not getting sleep, is uh, 
talking about what we've just been doing over the last two or three weeks because we haven't gotten to check in since that whole rut period began. So I wanted to walk through, you know, our rut, talk through what went right, what went wrong, what we learned from it, um, tell the stories of of the uh, the exciting moments that you and I had. Um, it's always fun for me to kind of do this debrief to take some time to really kind of try to chew or process what happened. Cause at least for me, the rut is this like, I don't know, it's a marathon, but it's like a million miles a minute. It's go, 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 go. I always need something like this where I can sit back, think it through, digest it and, and even appreciate it a little bit. Sometimes just having a conversation like this helps me appreciate what just happened. So uh, that's what I'm thinking if you're up for it. I'm down, dude. So on a one to 10 scale, how would you rate your 2019 rutcation? I'm, I'm telling you this right now. I had so much fun. It should be illegal. Like I had such an absolute blast. Are you going sure your the- wife's not listening to this? I don't want to get, I don't want you to get in trouble. <laughs> no, we already had the argument about it. So <laughs> What so, was the argument? Oh, ju- you know, just like, well, you know, I hope you had fun, but I was here with the kids and blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm just like, hey, whatever. Like, you just <laughs> At some point, you just stopped listening to them and you just say, hey, this is this is what I'm going to do. So, so you, yeah, you got to come back from the bitch, trip. You just right. got to come back from the trip like, oh, it was horrible, honey. It was really awful. I'm so glad to be home. I can't do that, though. It's, it, I, I can't do that because I walk into the house and I'm like, hey, everybody, how's it going? I'm refreshed. I'm back being <laughs> happy, dad. You know, let's do this. Let's be a parent. Let's go play. Let's color and all this. Uh, and, uh, and then here she is. You know, she while we were on the rut or while I was hunting, she you know, got sick. So she got like a sore throat and just felt really crappy and, and all this stuff. And here I am, you know, it's like, I'm out shivering my balls off, but I got, I'm doing it with a big smile on my face, you know? Mm-hmm. So, man, yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one. We'll have to talk about that a little bit more later too, because I definitely had some of, some of that same balance issue that I had to think about too. But, uh, but sorry, you were talking about how awesome it was and you were having the time of your life. Dude, I needed a rut like this though, because the last three years I went into, um, I felt like I got off easy, you know, every, the stars kind of aligned the last three years where see 2016, um, you know, uh, I hunted one day and then a huge, like 24 to 48 hour rainstorm came through. I'm like, aha, I know what I need to do. I got some trail camera Intel. I'm going to pop into this fence row. I'm going to climb up. Uh, I saw a buck stand out of his bed, grunted, buck came in, shot him. Right. That, yep. that was 2016, uh, 2017, uh, went into a new farm that I had hunted one or two times, uh, in early October. Uh, went into a run and gun. I wanted to set up in this terrain feature that was leading to a a really big CRP field. As I'm walking in, I see a ton of scrapes set up uh, inside the timber, you know, outside of this bedding area. Deer walks through, he's out of range, one grunt, he turns around, comes in, I shoot him. 2018, uh, set up in uh, another terrain feature inside of, uh, 
basically this pinch point slash corridor uh, behind a standing cornfield, not on the food edge or not on the uh, field edge. Um, it rained all day, waited for the rain to stop. The second the last raindrop hit the ground, I was already in the tree. Buck comes out, shoot him three years in a row, right? Pretty much just, you know, I think uh, three days. Three days it, was the longest, right? You make it sound really easy in Iowa, man. <laughs> well, no, what I'm getting at is, you know, it, it's not it's not easy, right? I mean, it's not like I just walked into a fresh property and killed these deer. You know, this is this is seven, eight, nine years of knowing this property, yeah. knowing where the terrain features are, scouting all this stuff, and putting myself in the best possible position. This year was a little bit different. Not only was I going into a rut where I had my mindset on just a handful of deer or a certain caliber of deer, um, I also was fighting things like, I would say within a half a mile of this farm, there was close to a thousand acres of standing corn, mm-hmm. right? And close to 500 acres of it were bordering the farm that I hunt. So it was just... I knew I had some obstacles in front of me, but I I knew I also needed to fall into the routine like I always do and, and just get at it. It just took longer this year, but that's what I needed. I, I, I didn't want really an easy season. I wanted, cause there's something happens to me anyway, when you, when you go and you start to, you hunt that first week, right. And you're just like, ah. You know, I'm, I'm having fun. I'm seeing some deer, not really what I want, but I'm seeing them. And then there's a moment where the grind kicks in and then some people bitch and complain about it. But for me, I really like to embrace it because I love it. I love that point where you're just, you, you know, the first week you don't want to sleep in. You're happy. The second week you're like, oh man, I could, I would really love 15 more minutes or it's the one day it was negative 10 with wind chill and I'm walking in and I know I got to, you know, climb up in this stand and sit there an hour before the sun comes up and I'm freezing my balls off, but I loved it. You know what I mean? Like you can bitch and complain or you can embrace it. And I, I did a little bitching, but I also embraced it. And that's when you start to really uh, for me, I like really enjoyed myself. So if I would have tagged out in the first week of this season, it would have just been, oh, I had fun. But I hit that, that grind point. I hit that, uh, the point where you just, you start to feel, I don't know, there's something different about me when I get to that point. And I, I just am able to enjoy everything that much more. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, well, I can't claim to ever really understand you, Dan, but I can, <laughs> but I can say that I get what you're saying in this case. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and for me, I definitely appreciate an end result much more when there had to be struggle to lead up yeah. to it. And so I've always said, like, I don't, I don't want to have that hunt where I kill a buck on the first day. Like, of course, you know, if it happens, it happens. That's great. But I always, my favorite hunts are the ones where, you struggle for seven days or, or something like that and you think it's not going to happen and you've almost lost hope and then boom, it comes through. Or you had to hike and hike and hike and hike and hike and you were miserable and tired and the grind was wearing you down and then it finally pays off. Like That is the payoff that's always the most meaningful. Yeah. Um, so Did yeah. you get that point this year? 
Yes. In a different kind of way. Um, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I definitely hit the grind um, and definitely was wearing and dogging down because my kind of my marathon started early this year um, because basically for, it was basically from October 13th on. I think from October 13th until November 15th, I hunted all but four days, I think, um, because I did like that mentor hunt for a weekend and then I was home for a day and then I left for the seven days of hunting in the boundary waters and then I was then I immediately started hunting for Tran for like three days. And then I immediately started filming an episode of the back 40 for three days. And then I got back and immediately started hunting in that late October time period for Tran again, and then went straight back to the back 40 for a week and then straight back for Tran. And so I didn't stop. I mean, I took just a couple days in between that whole, basically a month long period. I hunted, I think 25 or 26 days. So, yeah. um, so and you yeah. weren't just the hunter too. You were, you also had to play guide for a little bit. Yeah. throughout that time frame. Yeah, so I mean there was two days of, of me guiding a new hunter on that mentored hunt field the hork event and then hunted myself in Minnesota and then hunted for a few days and then on the back 40 I hunted with Doug Duran and and I hunted those days but also was was helping him get set up and giving him a tour of the place and doing things like that and we hunted together one day and then hunted again on my own for a while and then later on the back 40, I took my dad out. We'll talk about this in some more detail later. But I kind of guided my dad for a few days hunting and just sat with him um, and, and tried to get him a buck too. So that was really cool. Uh, but yes, yeah, so it was, it was kind of a mixture of me hunting, me taking other folks around, me showing other folks around, which was, which was fun for a change. But it definitely added up to a lot of days in the field, which is, which is great. I can't complain about it. But I mean, if we're being honest, it does wear you down too. So by the time, by the time the 14th, the the evening of the 14th came and I was, I was ready to sleep in and just kind of recenter myself, which is what I was able to do this past weekend. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot to cover though, in between all that, that we just talked about. Yeah. Uh, I I hit, I hit that point where it was like, oh man, I've been at it a while. And I did take it. I did take some time to go back home for, you know, a, a more uh, afternoon and a morning hunt just to kind of help the wife out because um, she had some plans. But I, I started hitting that point within the grind where it's just like, man, dude, I, I'm a dad and, and a husband, too. I got a, I got things I probably should be doing. You know, you start mm-hmm. to second guess where you actually need to be. Is that in the tree stand? Yeah. Or is that back at home? So, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely starting to get that more. There's definitely a change happening for me with the family and everything. And, you know, we've got a toddler now. He's almost two and my wife's pregnant with our second. And, and so, yes, that's absolutely coming up. And, and I took a couple, I did take a couple days off that I normally wouldn't have that I'm so glad I did. And that's kind of changing my thoughts on, on the rut marathon for me a little bit. I think in the future, I will probably do that. In the the past, it was like, you have to hunt every single day. This is it. You got to make hay when the sun shines, go, 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 go. Don't be weak, be strong, go, 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 go. This year, um, two things happened. Number one, I realized what you just said there are some things more important than killing a deer and I need to try to do a better job of fulfilling those obligations too. So taking some time off. Another thing I did different this year when I was hunting my closer to home spot, um, I didn't hunt all day on most of those hunts. Some of them I did, but I realized that I could come in and help out with my son a little bit and give my wife a little break. And I decided, you know what? Yeah. The midday hunt can be good. 
I've had some encounters. I like to do it because it's, you know, I like to always be able to check that box, which says I did everything I possibly could. Right. Um, but this year I realized sometimes you got to make sure your priorities are right. So I came in midday and helped out more. I took a few days off in the middle to help out. And I think that moving forward, I'm going to continue to do that and maybe do it a little more. Um, cause you, you always say it and I've always given you a hard time about it, but this is a selfish thing we do. And yeah. I think there's a, an interesting balance you have to find as a, as a dad between giving it your all. If this is something that matters to you, you want to give it your all and work hard, but at the same time, balancing it with your family. And, yep. uh, and so, yeah, that was a, that was something for me. And I will tell you though, that taking that break, I took a couple days, one weekend off and stayed home with the family. That little break was a huge help with the grind. Yeah. Like giving myself a, a little break also revitalized me and maybe made me a more effective hunter over the final five, six days um, because I wasn't so tired. So there might be something to, you know, saying, all right, it's okay to sleep in today because if you sleep in that one day, maybe it gives you that boost that gets you that much more confident, that much stronger, that much more focused for the rest of your trip. Um, I don't know. That's something I've started to think more and more about. I was usually like hunt all 14 days nonstop. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just getting old or maybe I'm getting smarter or, or something. I'm not sure, yeah. but there might be something to keeping your edge, um, being more important than just being there every spare second. I don't know. Maybe you can yeah. make the, the other way too, but yeah, these are things I've been thinking about. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just what part of life you're in, right? Like for me, I got three kids and I got a wife and, um, their life doesn't stop when I go. And when I go away, so I, I did the same thing. You know, I took a afternoon and a morning off and during the, the snowstorm that happened, came back up here, um, let my wife go and do the event that she needed to go do next morning, got the kids ready for school, took, uh, you know, took the, uh, uh, wife and the youngest son out for dinner or out for breakfast. And then I came back and started up again. And I think not only did she appreciate it, but I, you know, you start, you start talking about checking boxes. I feel like I felt good then going back and saying, I checked a box. I showed her that she and the family are more important than hunting at that time right there. Right. And now I can go back and I feel confident that she's not going to be near as upset with me when, you know, for week number two, going into week number two. And I don't know, I felt, I felt good about myself at that point. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's a new phase in life for us. Um, I'm a little bit behind you, but getting, getting there and starting to understand where you're coming from more and more often. And, um, it's a transition. It's something different. It's a whole new wrench that's thrown into rut plans and rut strategies and, and all that, but it's for the best possible reason. Right. I mean, right. uh, I wouldn't like to have my rut hunt screwed up for anything more than, uh, for getting to see my family. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty good reason to change the plans, but let's, let's start back at the beginning. Let's break down how the hunts actually went um, yeah. because you and I both found some success, but we both had some struggles along the way. Uh, let's talk through the highlights of your rutcation first maybe and, uh, and break down some, some things you figured out along the way that you learned, some things that led to your success and, and all that. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. 
remember me talking to you uh, this summer and uh, earlier in the fall where I was like, man, I'm not even going to start hunting until week number two of November. You did right? say that, didn't you? Because of, yeah. of that buck, right? Yep, because of that buck. Yeah. Well, I thought all that went out the window, right? <laughs> it's November 1st, the evening of November 1st, I woke up, you know, here at home, got ready, left. November 1st was day one of my rut vacation. And if anything, this year solidified that next year, and I know there's a whole bunch of different variables that go into this decision, but next year, I, I know for a fact that as hard as it's going to be, I, I need to stay out of the woods like November 1st through the 4th. And, and, and just, I would rather have those four days on the back end to try to catch one of these giant zombies that are walk, you know, that, you know, walking through the timber, not even paying attention, than have a fresh, you know, just watch a two-year-old parade basically like what I did this year. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I really do think that next year, it's probably not even going to start for me until my birthday, November 5th and grind it out until Thanksgiving yeah. and, and, and go put the time on the back end of the rut instead of the front end. It's an interesting situation you guys have there in Iowa because you don't have a gun season that opens until December. So you get to That's hunt right. that whole rut. Um, yep. I've always been really jealous of that because here it ends September 14th for us. Gun season opens the 15th and then, you know, you can of course hunt through that, but it's very, very, it's totally different. The normal yeah. deer behavior ends on the 15th. Then it just becomes deer reacting to 700,000 hunters or whatever it is. So yeah. I've never got to experience that kind of, that period of the year hunting here in Michigan, like you have. And I, I, I've, I've heard, and I've hunted in Ohio a little bit during that time period and seen that it can be pretty darn good. Um, so it makes sense from that perspective, what you're saying. Yeah. But it, it was cool to go see, you know, to, to just have encounters because the very first evening I went into, I had a perfect wind to go into the best possible, what, what I'm going to call, you know, one a one B it's, it's the one a bedding area. It's one of the best bedding areas on, on the properties that I hunt. And, um, I got what you would call kind of downwind of it. Um, and just wanted to see what was working in it. It's this giant rectangle that sits on a top of a ridge with a couple of other smaller, smaller ridges leading up to it. Right. And, uh, I, that's where I wanted to start off. And instantly I got in that night. Um, and I just want to reiterate how important and how much focus I put on, uh, exit and entry strategy, mm -hmm. you know, access was so key to the encounters that I had this year and the success that I had this year, you know, having to go out of your way, taking your time, really thinking through, uh, kind of led me to put my stands in the right spot because I had, you know, I paid attention to the access. If you got to go take that extra step and go around or J hook in or walk through some nasty crick bottom or whatever, just to get to these spots. I think that is one of the key factors into the success that I've had in the last four years is just access and not just blowing through the timber and taking the long way if needed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how'd you, how did you, uh, access this bedding here? Yeah. So 
this is kind of foreshadowing too, because eventually it's the tree that I shot the deer out of this year. Nice. And so I park, um, in this little grass field, uh, a walk a fence line in drop down to the lowest point. Um, basically a drainage between two ridges and I walk that drainage in and then take a hard 90 degree, basically left up and walk straight to my tree stand. And it's a Southwest wind. So my wind is kind of blowing down into the drainage and I have this, I don't know if you follow my Instagram story, but I did, uh, the title of that stand was kind of like risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. And as my scent would drop down into this, the lower spot of this drainage, the deer would kind of work that top third of the ridge and come into this bedding area uh, from kind of from both sides. So I was hunting the, uh, the, I guess the north side of it, the top side of this bedding area. And what's cool about this bedding area, it's, th- it's this giant rectangle, right? So I want you to tr- take that rectangle. And I want you to chop it into, you know, chop it into three equal pieces. Okay. The, the center piece of this bedding area is almost hollow. There's two big oak trees that canopy out. So there's not a, a lot of growth um, on the forest floor there. So it kind of it opens up and it's it, it becomes the staging area for the deer before they work their way through the bottom part of the bedding area and head to uh, you know, out for the night, you know, they go to a ag field. And once I found this spot, I was just like, Oh my God, now it's just a waiting game, right? The deer are there. And the first night that I set up in this tree, I saw seven bucks ranging from one years old to possibly a four year old. It was hard for me to tell, but he was a big nine pointer. And, and there was, you know, a handful of does in there. And the first night is just a bunch of two and three year old snort wheezing at each other. It was awesome way to kick off the, the rut. And, uh, and the deer would just work through, you know, they'd work through the area. They'd, they'd go to that staging area. They'd mill around a little bit, leave some scent, you know, they'd do some scrapes, scent check these does, posture up on each other. And then as the evening starts to fade away, they work their way out which was awesome because then I didn't have to worry about staying in the tree stand longer because these deer were, um, you know, these deer were coming, sticking around. Right. And that's why I love hunting staging areas because if you're hunting a field edge at dark, as you're getting down out of the tree, here come the deer, Mm -hmm. right? I'm off the field edge into this, you know, through a bedding area already into this staging area, like this, staging area within a bedding area and the deer are working their way. So all I have to do is drop down out of my tree, go back to the bottom that I walked in, walk the bottom all the way out to my truck. And it's just, it's like, it's just the perfect access and entry and exit. You know what I mean? So, so that tree stand stayed there because I, I had to take the sticks down but that tree stand stayed there. Cause I was like, this is money. If they come through, uh, it's kind of fun. It kind of pinches in tight where this opening is under this big canopy of this Oak. And, uh, my shot is going to range anywhere from 15 to 32 yards. And that's where I was like, okay, perfect. Perfect. And I hunted the backside of that, uh, a different angle on a different wind of that, uh, bedding area and saw some good activity too, but not as 
good as that particular uh, that particular spot. So, and then from there, that first night was awesome, and I had really high expectations going into that uh, the rest of the week. But what happened was is then you realize how much of a factor that standing grain played on the rest of it. And it just became does and two-year-olds. I mean, that's all I saw for, I had a couple encounters with some three-year-olds that I decided I I didn't want to pass, but, uh, or that I, that I did want to pass because I had a long time to, oh my God, there's a big buck. Okay. Okay, cool. What is he? What is he? Do I know him? Do I recognize him? What is he? What is he doing? Okay, man, he looks good. Okay, it looks like a three-year-old. His legs are long. Look, legs look long. You know, the I, I had the opportunity to really observe some of these deer um, through the binos, and then when they did work their way through, I was like, okay, well, I don't, you know, you know, you know how we talk about it. He didn't make me go, oh, whoa, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, um, other than other than that, there was hardly any sign on the property. I mean, I didn't run into hardly any scrapes at all on this property. I mean, I did, but not like previous years, man. Uh, on the bottom, this was a corn year on the farm. And on the farm, the corn was gone. They combined it. And I saw a ton of deer in the picked cornfields, but I'll tell you this, there was hardly any sign along the the field edges this year, which blew my mind. Uh, so another kind of, uh, man, what is going on? And I think a lot of it had to do with the deer were in the corn a lot, a lot. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today 
or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Yeah, I got to believe a lot of people had similar experiences with that standing corn. I mean, oh, yeah. we had the same issue here, still have it. Uh, so much moisture, so wet, so much rain that yep. kept farmers from able to get that corn out. I still have standing corn all around most of my spots right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, based off of people responding to my Instagram story, you nailed it. They, especially here in Iowa, and I think at one point they said only 43% of the crops were out or the, the corn was out in the state. And what was that? And I think that was last week. Okay. Wow. Uh, early last week. So I'm sure some, some more's come out s- since then, but I mean, it can really affect, and, and I'm talking about guys from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, and Northern Missouri talk, you know, saying, saying this, and that's for the most part, similar terrain throughout, you know, throughout all that. So, um, a lot of people were fighting standing crops and, um, other than that, you know, I just, I started a, I started my routine, right? I started, I had a truck full of tree stands. And so when I was doing my running guns, I would throw a tree stand up and what I thought was a really good, uh, area, a really good access, really good stand location. And then I would leave it up, tear down the sticks and move to the next spot. Right. And really try to hone in on where the majority of the deer were moving. And, and most of it was up high where my shooters, my quote unquote hit listers had been historically moving last year. Right. And so I go through this routine of checking trail cameras and there is nothing on trail cameras. Right. And I hate to put a lot of weight on trail camera data, but historically if I'm catching, I got, I got some decent pinch points on the farm. So if they're not on one of these trail cameras throughout uh, a four or five day period, they're not on the farm right now. That's just how I, uh, that's how I feel. Right. And so it just wasn't. So I decided to, I need to give this part of the farm a break. This was like three or four days into it, five days into it. And then I decided to go down to a different part of the uh, property just to see what was moving. And uh, it was another, one of the best bedding areas on the farm and, uh, just sat up in kind of in, it's a crick crossing, but I can, I can see a long ways on both sides. It's not a field edge set, but it's a, it's like a, it's like a staging area on a, on top of a bedding area that I can see into, uh, one of the bedding areas. And sure enough, this is where all the deer were at. They're all in the, in the picked, picked corn. This is where I passed, um, two, three-year-olds. This is where I passed or um, a really small antlered four-year-old. This is where I saw the first shooter of the year, but he was like, I don't know, a thousand yards out. And I only saw him through binos. And so I just, you know, decided I needed to give that, give that a shot before I counted everything else. Cause you got to know on the properties that you're hunting, you kind of, you got, you got to kind of know what's going on on everything. Right. But but I realized that the caliber of the deer were not really what I wanted. So I had to then focus back on. So basically I hunted off. I hunted off of the east side of the farm 
threw some attention on the south side of the farm, you know, a morning, an afternoon, another afternoon, just to see what the deer movement were, was doing. A lot of does, but also a lot of two-year-olds and a couple three-year-olds saw one four-year-old out in the distance, not necessarily the caliber that I was looking for. And then I, then I knew, you know, okay, I I'm doing the right thing by staying on the east side of the farm because the caliber of the deer that I want to go after are not on the west side of the farm either. So then it just kind of became, it's, it's time to just wait them out, right? You've, you've kind of gone through your stand rotation uh, you've looked for that deer movement, you've got your stands in the best location. And then now I can chop my farm in half and go into the east side of the farm and only really pay attention. So now I basically what I've done is just cut the acreage in half almost. And hold on. I want to make sure I got this right. The side that you decided to focus on was the side where the picked cornfields was nearest to, or the side of the standing corn. Was. the side with with the standing corn okay right so why so do you I, think that most of the deer activity was over by the picked corn but you were seeing the mature bucks on the standing corn because that was just better cover over there they felt more comfortable on that in that area so i i had at this point i had yet to see any mature bucks on the standing corn mm. side but the caliber of the deer that i saw on the picked corn side were not what what I was going at, even though they were a four-year-old, like I passed this one four-year-old and I think he was like 125, 130. And he had a really huge body, but just not really what I was, you know, he didn't make me go, ah, yeah. Right. You know? So, so it all kind of leads into this one moment where I, I'm like, all right, I need to. So I, I go through this, the six days and this is all kind of happened. You know, I'm telling this story and I'm not going through it day by day because there are days where there, there, there are mornings where I'm not seeing any deer or there's an afternoon where I'm sitting and I, I didn't see a deer. Maybe mm-hmm. I saw a spike come through or a two-year-old come through, but I'm, I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to hone in on the deer movement on the, the, where my hit listers have been historically. Right. And I set up on the, I, I you know, I'm like, okay, I need an observation sit tonight. We got some fresh, you know, we got some snow coming in tonight. Um, and I'm going to get a tree stand in here because historically the snow comes, knocks a ton of leaves off. And if there's snow on the ground, you can see forever in the timber, right? You can, movement is really easy to spot out when you have a brown dot walking across a white background. Oh yeah. Yep. So I set up a stand that, e- um, that evening I, am, you know, watching, you know, a couple two-year-olds chase a couple young does around, probably weren't hot, um, still seeing doe groups, you know, maybe one or two individual, uh, you know, standalone does go back home, turn around. And, and this is the coldest morning of everything. And I'm, I'm, I walk into the tree stand, it's already set up and I'm literally I get there an hour before daylight. I'm bundled up with all of my gear. I was wearing everything. And, uh, and it's so cold that I pull my stocking cap over my face and I'm not even looking at this point. (laughs) It's just surviving. Yeah. The sun's just coming up and I'm, 
I peek out every once in a while. I'm looking around and I was, I started to shiver. So I'm like, this is typically what happens in, in, uh, other years where if I rattle, I'll warm up a little bit. So I did this. So I did this blind rattling sequence just to, just to kind of warm up, get the blood moving again, stood up, cracked the antlers together. And, um, this like two year old 120 class comes in and he just kind of mills around a little bit and hangs out and then he works his way up the ridge. And this is, here's the cool part, you know, for every time that me and you talk about how deer use terrain, we talk about how deer, um, you know, use the wind to their advantage and all this stuff for every time that we say that, I can show you an example like this and an example like what I'm about to say of deer having the wind to their back. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yes, it's, it's good to know that, you know, Hey, deer like to quarter into the wind or they walk the top third of a, of a ridge or they do all these different things. And that's a good start. It's a tendency. It's a tendency, right? Not a rule. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And these, the deer were working these ridges with the wind to their back. So as they're going up, they're, they're relying on their eyes to see what's in front of them, but they're, so I'm sitting on the, on a South, on a, let's see, a North facing Ridge at this point with a North wind. So I'm looking at my uh, topo map right here and it's blowing into a drainage. Right. So at some point, this deer is going to cross my scent stream, but it's going to be so far down that, you know, hopefully, you know, with help from the Ozonics and with help from him just being a long ways away, if he does catch my scent, he's not going to go bananas. He's just going to, you know, trot off or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the reason I sat in this particular ridge was they logged the tops that has been a couple years ago, three years ago, I think it was. And now we have this growth in here. It's about head high, six foot high of just thorns. And it, and what it's done is it's created edge, this giant edge on the top of this ridge and the deer all stay down because they don't want to walk on the top and they don't want to walk through this thickness. It's create, created this edge where it's almost just like a hallway that they, they walk through. And that's what this uh, two-year-old did. And that's what I'm hoping that as they're coming out of the north side to check this uh, south side of the farm where all the standing corn's at, I'm hoping that they use this this ridge and this travel system. Well, this and you've been on the farm before, and it's just a bunch of ridges. Yeah, big just big timber and big ridges. Big timber. Yep. And so I'm hoping that this is where a majority of the movement has gone I'm, or has been over the years. And, and this year, I'm going to sit on this ridge. So I'm bundled up. That deer works by. And all of a sudden, I hear something raking a tree, like not a squirrel jumping around. And it's about 730 in the morning. Sun's coming up. It's shining right. It's bright day. You know, one of those no cloud mornings. And I hear raking. And I stand up and I make my way around and put the binos up and there's gnarly Charlie on, (laughs) on the second ridge. And I got about a 30 second look at him before he started walking up the ridge 
towards uh, towards the standing cornfield. And this is a morning hunt, right? So you're you're thinking that maybe. And my my thought was that hopefully I'm going to catch these deer coming out of the cornfield down back to a bedding area, right? And that's why I'm hunting the north wind. So the they're going to come, they're going to come at a different angle and still have, still have the wind to their advantage, but they're coming the opposite way. All the deer were coming from the North to the South on a morning hunt. And gnarly Charlie's working his way up that the next Ridge to me. And he's working his way. Um, let's see here, working his way up, uh, up this Ridge, which is he's walking South with a North wind and I got binos on him. So I'm like, okay, that puts a dot on a map. That's a physical location. Now I can't go in there. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Before you go any further, you need to tell me about this moment because you've been yeah. talking about gnarly Charlie for two years now. You've been looking at these pictures of this pretty darn cool deer. Yeah. Uh, you talked about this year, even last year for a moment, you said it might be this kind of year. And then this year you said, ah, it's going to be hard to, you know, maybe I'm going to have a year where I really chase this one buck. Yeah. Um, to a degree at least now you finally see him in person. Yeah. That's the first time yeah. you've seen him in person, right? Yep. First time I've ever seen that deer. And what was that like? It was, I'll, I'll be honest. I was so cold that my brain, <laughs> my brain wasn't thinking like, yippee, I got him. My brain, my brain was just like strategy mode. Right. I think I texted you and I said, I saw him. Right. Yeah. And I, then I think well, I was more excited than you were then maybe. Cause I was dude, like I had, 17 exclamation points. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, it was fun. I mean, it was awesome seeing a deer of that caliber. Um, and of course I couldn't rattle at him or I couldn't call to him because he was, he was downwind of me. Yeah. If he would have came, if I would have done that, he would have came all the way around, you know, he would have had to come all the way around and eventually would have crossed through my, um, my scent stream. And I didn't want to risk it. I didn't want to risk blowing him out of the farm. Mm -hmm. Right. So I watch him disappear and I stand there for another 45 minutes, basically just eagle eyeing my Ridge, hoping, hoping he circles around the drainage and comes back down, maybe just on a cruise yeah. or to see if he pops up on the second, the, the third Ridge over. And, and I'm just trying to, just trying to observe everything to see if he's kicking a doe up, if he's following a doe, whatever, but it looked like he was al alone. Right. So my mind goes to strategy mode and now I'm access and I'm thinking, I'm looking on my phone, um, you know, I'm looking at Onyx about, okay, where can I sit? Every, every little ridge top or spur ridge in this area is now getting, uh, basically a test run on it. Okay. Tomorrow's or to, this afternoon's, uh, wind is going to be here tomorrow. Tomorrow's wind is going to be here. And so what I did, just like I did last year, I was like, okay, I found his shed here. I had a sighting of him here. I got trail camera pictures of him here. And I basically drew a line between where the last trail camera pictures that I've had of him, which was November 31st, or excuse me, uh, October 31st in the middle of the night and to where he was and looked at these travel, like the travel patterns between there. And instead of decide, you know, instead of deciding, Hey, I want to hunt right here where he's at currently. I kind of thought 
I'm going to loop all the way around and I'm going to hunt now the south facing ridge in hopes that I'll see him on the north side again and not necessarily, you know, potentially I could kill him in the, in a spot like this, but I just want to get a secondary sighting of him and know where these other little travel corridors are and, and, um, and, and, and having this, uh, what am I trying to say here? Uh, where my buck was traveling last year. So you right? kind, of, kind of predict where he was going to be. Exactly. Trying to, right. And as we all know, that doesn't work. So, <laughs> uh, every time. So I, I'm just trying to think of where this is moving. Cause, um, there's another little farm on top of this ridge, um, in between these standing cornfields. And I thought to myself, man, I don't think he's going to go out there in the morning in broad daylight and expose himself. Right. I think he's just going to hug these ridges on, on these, the edge of the timber where it meets the standing corn in this ag fields. And he's just going to cruise around looking for a doe to come back to, you know, to go or come back or whatever. So I stayed in there for quite a while. And then finally I got down, went back to my truck went back home and just studied the area. And then basically the next, uh, that afternoon I dropped down in on the opposite side of the Ridge further East on a, a really main travel corridor, hoping to get him, you know, get a sighting of him or have him work where all these does were coming through on, uh, on a different set that I saw. Oh, three days previous, right? I didn't see him. But I, you know, all these does were working through and I said, okay, I'm going to get in shooting lane with all these, uh, shooting range of where all these does are at. And basically I dropped down off the South facing Ridge and caught them coming out of the cornfield, working their way through. Well, that worked. A whole bunch of does came through a couple bucks came through that night. Uh, going to food. And then the next morning I hunted that again and they were coming away from food and no other sightings. So that time of year, anything could happen, right? Mm -hmm. he, he could hook up with a doe. He just was cruising in that area and he decided to go, you know, he zigged when I zagged and, and now it just becomes, you know, hunt that location again. Well, now we're talking, now we're going back to that, uh, that bedding area that we discussed earlier where I left the tree stand at, right? One, bedding area 1A. 1A, right. Bedding area 1A. So now I'm just like, okay, I saw him. Now I can even chop more area off this farm because historically he doesn't go through the main pinch on the farm. So now I'm just chopping hundred more acres off the farm. And I'm like, okay, now I'm, I can really focus on this. I want to say 120 acres and really focus on it, check trail cameras, bring more. I brought more trail cameras in and hopefully get to a point where, um, I'm just, you know, uh, Bill Winky talks about casting a net with trail cameras mm -hmm. and then bringing all these other trail cameras in and, and, and basically just tightening down on this bucks area. And hopefully you start, even though it's the rut, you can still see a pattern of where these deer are moving. And that, that's kind of what I was hoping to do. And, and I think, I know we've talked about this in the past, but studies have shown that that is true, that typically these bucks will have a handful of hot spots, usually doe bedding areas or doe feeding areas that they will kind of rotate through as they're checking for hot does during the rut. So it might not be as, 
clear as a early season bed defeating pattern where they're going from A to B, A to B. But during the rut, they do kind of circle sometimes in varying ways, but they'll go to A to B to C to D to E, then from A to B to C to D to E, and they'll kind of slowly work in that kind of way. At least I, I've I've come to yeah. see that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They go through this, you know, they it's almost like they they're doing the same thing that I'm doing. They're, except their locations are the bedding areas within or the doe groups within this range. Yeah. So they're walking in, in a big circle basically until they find a doe and they decide to chase the doe breeder, come offer, and then go back into that rotation again until they find the next one. And that's, that's what I was hoping that he was going to start to do. Um, because last year, um, I got him on a handful of trail cameras in somewhat of a circle right? He hits a trail camera and then a couple of days later he hits another one. And then maybe a, a day later he hits another one. It's all, all within there. And so that was that triangle that I talked about, right? Uh, yep. remember I, I said, I had this triangle yep. that I feel if I'm going to kill him, he's going to be within there. And I, now I'm in this triangle, right? And so I, I just really wanted to focus on the ridges, the travel corridors, the staging areas, the bedding areas within this triangle. Yeah. The zone, the zone. Yep. So on bedding area one, a, I hunted the South side, uh, one morning and one afternoon and, uh, within this time frame, and he, he didn't show up uh, a couple other deer came through and then I'd see it was November the 13th. And I'm just like, okay, maybe he's going to, I had a, I had a, a big wind shift. We had like two days of, uh, Northwest winds, which prevented me from hunting the north side of this bedding area, bedding area 1A that uh, I talked about, right? And, and it had been, and it had been like five or six days since I had hunted that stand because I had other winds or I decided to check out different parts of the farm. And now this wind shifted to a south, southwest which opened the door for betting the north side of betting area 1A and I'm like I got I'm going in there. I got to see if he's working in there. And so same park my truck, same access route in and I get and I get to the base of my stand. I only put three sticks high, so I'm sitting at about 12 or 13 feet, right? But I had awesome back cover with this pine tree and I get two sticks up, getting ready to hang the third one. And there's a doe staring right at me, like right at me. And so I, I had to creep down back to the ground and she, I had the wind, so she really couldn't tell what I was. She's, you know, trying to uh, figure out what I am. And all of a sudden this like 130 class four-year-old just brap, 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 like starts chasing her around this bedding area. <laughs> And, and this is ground level within 20 yards of me Wow! and kicks up another doe and they kind of work their way away, which thank God, because I was thinking I was going to have to shoot this doe just so she wouldn't bust out, right. like blow at me. So thank God that buck came through and I'd say he's 130 class. Uh, I think he was a nine or a 10 or an eight. I, I really couldn't tell. Um, I think I, I think I said he was an eight, but, um, he could have been something different. And so I get up, set up and instantly there's deer 
moving. I can see deer moving through through this these bedding areas in the staging area. Uh, button buck comes through. Spike buck comes through. Another like 115, 120 inch, 10.2 year old starts coming. You know, coming through. They're all working their way. A doe comes through. Eventually, these two does that this one four year old had chased out of there come back and they begin to feed under this big oak tree for an hour or so. They've just kind of planted their flag there and, and have made this home. And I'm just sitting there watching, watching these does uh, come through. And now it's starting to get to somewhere around four o'clock. So I stand up and uh, the does are still sitting there. I feel, you know, every, everything's relaxed. I, I'm another spike buck or young buck comes through and walks right in front of me and he goes into the bedding area and set checks him. He's pushing these does around a little bit. Eventually he leaves and somewhere around four, four o'clock, four fifteen, this doe on the opposite Ridge just sprints. She's sprinting right at me and she jumps up onto my, on the, the ridge that I was hunting, comes into about 30 yards and just chills. And she's looking over her shoulder and looking over her shoulder and looking over her shoulder. Eventually There's nothing she, better than that. You know, it's oh, coming. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I'm just like, Oh, something is right behind her. Something is right behind her and nothing came. Ugh. And I was like, what, what's going on here? Like that is the, that is the sign of a doe getting chased. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, she goes and feeds with these other two does and she's, her body language changes. She calms down. She just goes into feed mode and then she stops looking behind her. Then I hear something behind me. And so I, I turn around thinking, okay, maybe this, a different buck is looped and just checking this, you know, this, uh, part of the bedding area behind me and I'm looking and I'm looking and so I, I'm turned around in the stand at this point, and it's a—I think it was like a spike buck, just kind of milling around doing something behind me. And all of a sudden, it's and I hear something running in towards me. And sure enough, it's this—it's the buck I, you know, I get a shot at. But he's coming in, and the first thing that went through my head is dork. It's dork. Like, are you kidding me? It's finally, <laughs> finally, it's like the first ever encounter I'm going to have with this deer. And so I grab my bow and I then get like a one second look at him. I'm like, okay, his brows are too short. He's not dork, but he's a shooter and drew back and he's trotting. And you know, this all happens within like a 30 second window. I drew back and he, he bull rushes into where the does were. And luckily he stopped right where they're a little bit behind him, but right where they were at. And he stops, puts his head down and I let the arrow go and I smoke him and, uh, just a hair back. But I knew I hit, I hit long, you know, you get some of these shots where you're just like, dude, that deer is going to die. Like yep. you're, very, you're very confident. Unlike last year where I didn't see the impact. Um, I, I didn't have to, I was, low in the stand, whatever. This was a standing perfect form anchor, everything took my breath, pulled the trigger, hit him mule kicked. And, and this was at about four 30. So it's starting to get dark in the timber and 
he does the mule kick. He doesn't run. And he starts walking away into this thick thickness. Right. And then you have, you know, why isn't he running? Right. And you're like, oh, Jesus, man, hopefully I didn't really gut shoot him, but I was confident in it. Right. So I'm, I'm scanning, I'm scanning, I'm scanning and I can't see him. So wait till a little bit before dark. Right. And I get out of my tree. I don't even go looking for him. I just go back to the house, get dressed, get my stepdad. And I'm like, dude, this is, I feel very confident. I feel I got, I got double, I double lunged him just back a hair, but I double lunged him mm-hmm. and grab my stepdad. We get ready, come back out and we start scanning and there's no blood at impact, which is kind of to be expected at, at this point, unless you just like smoke a heart, you know, you, you give them a couple jumps before they start. And we weren't finding a ton of blood within the first 10 yards of this. And, um, and then and it's by this time it's pitch black. So we got like five big flashlights. We're trying to scan everything. And eventually we run up on some blood and it's dark. And I'm like, mm, maybe it was further back than I thought. And I hit liver, but still, and that might explain why he didn't take off running because historically for me, uh, if you hit liver, they just hunch up and they just creep away, right? They don't, they don't run unless you, you double lung them or you, uh, you spook them somehow. And, and I mean, here's the short of it. And in another 15 yards there, he was laying dead and I had this huge smile on my face. Long story short, the way he came in, he was just a hair quartering towards me. So I hit front side lung, backside liver. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but, and then he started to open up and he was, he was dead from in 20 yards from where I shot him. And, um, I really didn't know what he was at the time. And as I walk up to him, I'm like, ah, I shot a three-year-old and that's what even, I mean, if, even if you look at the pictures, you're like, dude, that, that looks like a three-year-old deer, but this was the, here's what was amazing on, of this. Um, he didn't look like he had a huge body. And then I, I walk up on him, pick, you know, pick the head up and I you start to observe the animal and he was so worn down. I don't know if this deer was sick or if he had just already been through a hard rut, but his back end was bones. Like his spine was sticking out. His hips were sticking out. Um, his front, his front shoulders were kind of scooped in his, his neck was big and he had an absolutely huge head, but it was thin. Like, you know what I mean? It it just looked like someone, deflated a deer a little bit. And so well, you kind of did, but. <laughs> well, <laughs> but you know what I'm, but I mean, yeah, yeah. just sucked. There was, when we cleaned him, there was no fat on his body at all. Huh. So I don't know if he was sick or, or there's no injury. Had, there's no like big bruise on him. They get hit by a car or another deer or something was like that. Another puncture wound on his side, but it wasn't a broadhead. It was maybe from, it was probably from fighting yeah. if I had to guess because he, huh. he had a broken tine and then he knocked another tine off when he ran into a tree. It looked like when he fell. So, uh, never seen this deer before. He was a beautiful, like if he had all his antlers on him, he would have been a, like a mainframe nine. He has 
uh, split brows and then one split G2. And he has a ton of mass around his main beams. He has a lot of mass on, uh, that buck has a lot of mass and, uh, he made me go, uh, <laughs> so I shot him. And, uh, so there's a chance he's a three-year-old, but I honestly think he's a four-year-old. Um, and I could not be happier with this outcome from the pure fact that it, you know, it's, you get into a routine now. It's like, this is my fourth, this is the first time in my entire life that I've gone on a run this long, right? Four years in a row, shot four different bucks using my kind of my own personal philosophy and my own personal strategy on how I approach hunting a season. And I've been observing, I've been learning, I've been changing when I need to, and I've got found success out of that. And that on, you know, the, the, the deer is always the cherry on top, but my strategy worked again, even though it took longer than you know, longer than what it has in the past. I just, I'm very happy with the outcome of this season. And I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm jacked, man. It's a good feeling. That was oh, a very a great good feeling. So, yeah. so what was your biggest takeaway? Your, your number one lesson or something that really hit home for you after this whole thing came together? Yeah. So the, the lesson I would, I would say would be when I started hitting the obstacles, like no mature deer on trail camera, no mature deer sightings. Um, you know, now I had a hard stop of the 17th. I had five days left to hunt. You know, I was going through a couple of these sits without seeing any deer. I started to realize that, Hey, I might need to change what I want the outcome to be. Right. I, I may not be holding out for gnarly Charlie anymore. Because although I did see him, I think it was like three days previous, I, I knew that I had a freezer to fill and I knew, so to be honest with you, I was, I was possibly going to start shooting does on some of my sits if they offered me really good shots. And if, if it was slow and if they weren't getting chased. So I, I still wanted to fill my freezer, but I still wanted to shoot a mature buck and I felt like I did the right thing by changing my goal based off of what I was seeing from the timber and still continuing to go with my game plan and change my game plan as needed and not just get into a, oh, woe is me. I'm not seeing anything. Boo hoo. You just keep grinding and you keep grinding and you, you look at your maps and you think about all the data and intel that you've had, not from that year, but through all the years. And that helps me put my tree stands in the position that I wanted to. I had the encounters that I wanted to. And eventually that routine led me to this encounter and the harvest of a great deer. Do you do anything different next year? Is there anything that happened that you now yeah. will say, you know what? Okay. This is something that does, even though it worked out this year, this is something that has to change next time around. And, uh, the time frame, the time frame, just shifting uh, it later, shifting it later, a week later. Uh, I want to hunt up until Thanksgiving. Um, and I want, I think that just like we've already talked about, I think if it's not hot, go away for a day, come back. Yeah. I, I've, I've found now through these 
because I think a lot of people what what they what they do is they sit in a tree stand and they look at things in blind with blinders. They're like they're in a tree stand and they say, "Okay, this is what's happening today." When you need to think not only about last year but next year as well. So now I know, like hopefully gnarly Charlie makes it through the season, right? That would be awesome if he does. If he does, he does. If he does, if he doesn't, he doesn't. But if he does. I got intel on him on this spur ridge. I got intel, more intel from him uh, on trail cameras. So now I I got a straight line now between point A and point B that I'm really going to focus on next year. I'm going to bring more trail cameras in. I'm going to bring more tree stands in. I'm going to be scouting more in the, within this line late season. And hopefully I can set up to, so I got him trapped next year, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, so I, I totally know what you mean. Yeah. So it's, it's basically now, it, dude, it's so crazy. I celebrated this harvest, but my mind is already going. It's just how I operate. The end is also the beginning, man. And it's just, you'd never, for me, I never stop. I can't stop. I'm already thinking about like I, right now I'm looking on a map on this uh, topo map of where I want to have a tree stand next year. And, you know, I'm thinking about crop rotation and I'm thinking about what I want to do next year to hopefully put all that odds in my favor for another successful season. So when we talk about all time, it's, it's, it's really the process yeah, that absolutely. gets us. It's the yeah. end result of course is important and we strive for it, but it's everything that leads us to that moment that makes this thing so damn addicting. Yeah. Um, and that, I've that, been talking a, a long time, but I just want to, <laughs> I, I really want to reiterate how much fun I had this year because I didn't get stressed out. I went in with l- low expectations. I knew I had to put my process in, like you said. And once I do that, it's almost like it becomes autopilot. And I had, I, once it becomes autopilot, you can take the time to not, just worry about deer hunting. But man, I saw three bobcats this year. One of them was hunting while I was in the stand. I got to watch him hunt. Wow. That was sweet. I saw a badger. I saw birds. I saw, you know, it's just, you can, you can be a sponge and just absorb nature. And that's what I do this all for anyway. And, uh, man, and the fact that now I have meat in the, like I got meat in the freezer because of this too that's just a win. It's like, I had so many wins this season that, um, I don't know. I just, I, I had an absolute blast and it just, it reminded me why I love doing it so much. So are you done? Are you going to shoot some does? Are you going to go out of state and keep it rolling? <laughs> no, dude. What's next? I, like if I get the opportunity to go maybe shoot a doe, I'll do it. Um, I'm going to check trail cameras before late season, maybe, but as you know, and as everybody else with family knows, there comes a time where the brownie points are done, right? They're, they are used up and I want to maybe go out and shoot a doe cause I got three more doe tags left, but I also don't want to burn any bridges. And honestly, I just want to hang with the fam for a while and, uh, enjoy what I have. And then maybe I'll get out. Maybe I won't. But I've already had so much fun and success as a selfish bow hunter this year that I think I need to turn some attention back towards the family for a little bit and 
after a week or two, maybe I'll get out again, or maybe I'll get out late season. But, uh, now it's time to focus on the family and back to business. And, uh, dude, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. So dude, I talked way too much. (laughs) You're all right. That's what we're here to do. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Good talk. I want to hear about your rut, but I have to ask you a question because I saw you in a, a ground blind with your dad, right? Yeah. I do not come from a, a quote unquote hunting family. Like I learned all this, all this stuff on my own kind of, and I don't, I didn't really have, I've had somewhat of a mentor, but like, what's it like hunting with your dad? It's really cool, man. It's uh, it was a really fun thing to get to do because I grew up hunting with my dad. We were, we've got a really interesting kind of hunting dynamic though. Um, and it was fun to be able to do this. And I've got to do it a few times over the last handful of years because growing up with my dad, right, we'd go out, we've got this family deer camp up in Northern Michigan. We didn't see many deer ever, but we always had a great time just sitting out there together, telling stories, um, just being up there. That was a really fun thing for me to do for the, I don't know, from the time I was four till the time I was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, at some point around there is when I started hunting on my own, um, but the unique thing with my dad is that he is significantly visually impaired. Um, so he's got a just a, a real challenge when it comes to hunting as far as seeing things. Um, yeah. So because of that, he had only killed one deer his whole life. Uh, when he was 16, he killed a buck. 
And then all the way through the whole time we hunted together, he never shot a buck. All the way until I became an adult, he never shot a, a deer of any kind, um, except for that very first one. Um, I remember there's a story back when I was a little kid, and I might have told this before, but I was eight or nine, and we were hunting together, and I saw a buck. Me and my dad are sitting together. I see a buck, and I tell him, Dad, there's a buck, there's a buck, and he can't see it. And as a kid, not being very sensitive to the issue, I got mad at him. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, he's right there. He's right there. Just just give me the gun. I'll shoot him. Just give me the gun. Um, so we joke about it today, but you know, it was it was something that um, my dad has been a hell of a trooper to keep on hunting all these years, given the fact that um, it's a lot more difficult for him than a lot of people. So over the last decade or so, I've been able to try to give back to him a little bit and take him out and hunt some of the places that I can hunt. Um, and so, I don't know, five or six years ago, I, I know we told this story back then, but I set him up on one of my main Michigan spots and he killed a little buck with me and him sitting together in a ground, in a box blind. And that was awesome. First buck he'd killed, the first deer he'd killed since he was 16. Um, and then we, he shot one a few years after that on his own when I was hunting up at deer camp with him. So that was a really cool thing. But now I wanted to try to get him a shot at his first buck older than a year and a half because his three bucks he killed up to that point were all a year and a half olds. Um, I'm not even sure he's even seen a buck older than a year and a half because yeah. um, right up north, we almost never see anything other than a year and a half old bucks. And then the only other place he'd ever hunted other than when he came with me was our three acre property behind the house that I grew up in. So he, he would bow hunt back there sometimes and, and he's seen a few bucks back there. Uh, so this year we thought, let's bring him out to the back 40 for a few days. He could get a couple days off work during the rut and get his first bow hunting rut, you know, the peak of the rut, hopefully on this property It's hopefully going to be really good and get him a shot at his first like two year old or older buck. I, I really thought like, oh gosh, it should be easy to get a shot at a, you know, nice two year old eight pointer that he would think is the biggest buck in the world. And That'd be yeah. such a cool way to give back to him. Um, so we're kind of skipping towards like the the middle end of my rutcation, but but I'll finish off this portion of it and then I'll rewind back to the beginning because it was kind of this this story is sort of a microcosm for my whole rut. Um, the process was the fun part; the end result wasn't there. Um, yeah. It was great to get to spend a couple days with my dad out there hunting. We took him out. I had set up a handful of ground blinds in the summer knowing that he was going to come out. Um, but things just did not pan out on the – this is on the back 40 we took him, so that new farm. Um, yep. Things on the back 40 did not pan out at all how I thought they would as far as deer numbers, deer activity, the way they use the property. Um, it was just very, very, very different than I expected. I've – it's – as it stands right now, it's the slowest I've ever seen a property in Southern Michigan that I've ever hunted. I found a lot of spots in Michigan, in Southern Michigan. You always see deer. You always see young bucks, at least. Um, we had a hard time seeing anything on the back 40 this, this year in total. There were, there were a handful of good hunts, and I had a brief moment that I'll talk about of, uh, of some things coming together. But overall, it was pretty tough sledding. And unfortunately for my dad, that continued. We had... A couple fun days sitting in the blind together, just telling stories, reminiscing, laughing, giving each other a hard time. And that was one of the best parts of my entire rut, you know, three weeks. That yeah. was that was tops right there. Um, he had an opportunity at a year and a half old buck. We had a one buck come in and it was a little five pointer. And my dad got excited about it. I said, hey, if you want to 
you want to take a crack at it, take a crack at it. He's never killed a deer with his bow, and this he's using a crossbow. Um, yep. He's never killed a buck with a any kind of deer with a archer equipment, so that would be awesome if he did. But uh, he decided to pass on it because, you know, we had these high hopes, and I'd shown him pictures of some of the deer that we had gotten on camera and that were hopefully somewhere around. Um, so he decided to pass on it, which I think is the first time he's ever passed on a buck, which is cool. Um Unfortunately, we just didn't get any more opportunities. That was it. We had uh, we had some fun times out there, some good stories, but just the deer did not cooperate. So that was that was the hunt with him. Um, overall, though, it was about the quality time and a yeah. great reminder for me of of what matters most. And I think that came back time and time again throughout this whole rut is reminding myself of what really matters. Yes, I want to kill a mature buck. Yes, I want to have this end result. In the end, does that really matter? Not that much. So spending that time with my dad, that's what really mattered. Taking a few days off to help out my wife and be there for my son, that's what really matters. Taking some time midday when I usually tell myself I should be hunting, taking some of that time off to to help out, that probably is what really matters. Um, When you put in you know, three weeks of hunting really, really hard and you try so much for one deer and it doesn't come together and he's probably going to get shot by somebody else and that's frustrating. Uh, and then you have to take a step back and realize, you know what? It's just a deer. You've got yeah. a healthy family. You've got a roof over your head. Um, those are the things I kept coming back to time and time again over the course of the last three weeks. Yeah. So that's the ending of my story is that those were the sentiments that I was left with after my 2019 rotcation. Now, yeah. let me take you back to the beginning and explain how I got there. Right. So, you know, we talked last somewhere in, I don't know, middle or late October. Basically, I had that Minnesota hunt, awesome experience, but we didn't see any deer. Um, I had that really cool mentor hunt experience. That was fun. But once I got back from Minnesota, and we got to like the pre-rut time period. It's like late twenties in October started to shift my focus to trying to kill this buck tram. That one deer that I knew for sure is four and a half years old on my main Michigan property. I'd seen him a bunch last year. I passed on him coming into this year. It was, Hey, it's all about tram. And you know me, I get really excited about these one, this you know, target that one deer. And yep. I've got this one main farm where I've been really lucky to have an opportunity where these deer have a chance of making it back. So it seems like almost every year there's at least one deer that I had history with in past years. And um, that just is the funnest, the most fun for me is when I get to know a deer, like we talked about. You get to know a deer, get to put together those pieces, uh, figure out the the chest moves. That's that is just so cool. So I get hung up on that and really excited about it. And Tran was the one deer I knew for sure fit that bill. So he was my target buck this year. Um, now there was two other really nice deer that I had been seeing through the summer. There's one deer. I just kind of called him the big nine, really nice, big nine pointer. Um, probably like one thirty class in that ballpark. And I saw him quite a bit during the summer when I'm glassing these soybean fields. And he ends up though, after looking at him and looking at trail camera pictures, I'm really pretty darn certain. I'm certain he can't be older than three. So I decided, yeah. you know what? I'm going to pass on him. And so I think we talked about this. Uh, I saw him on October 2nd and I passed on him. I had a shot at him, like a 10 yard shot. And I passed on him on October 2nd. First time I'd ever passed on a buck of that caliber in Michigan. So that was cool. Um, But then I also feel like, man, am I crazy? Like people in Michigan don't pass on bucks (laughs) like that. Am I nuts? But I really want to get a shot tram. So I did it. Now, fast forward, it's late October. Um, 
I hunted the back 40 with Doug Duran for a couple days. I thought we'd be having some activity. I had, I was starting to get some more pictures of this buck. I was calling the wide eight on that farm. So I thought we were going to be getting into it, but it was just dead. We saw just a, like a button buck and a year and a half old buck. And I think a doe. Yeah, that's over the course of three days of hunting out there. So I was really disappointed in that. I'm going to ask you a quick question. Why did you think, or why, why do you feel that farm was dead? Because you had this moment of excitement about the back 40 that you started having some good deer show up on camera and you felt that the closer you get to the rut, the late October timeframe, mm-hmm. you felt it was going to start getting better and pick up. Yeah. What changed? So... I still don't know if I know 100% for sure. I can only theorize, right? Um, But my thoughts are this. I think that there's a ton of activity in the summer. We were there all over the place filming all these things, having all these people see it. We were all over the place. So there there wasn't a whole lot of action there during the summer because of that. Then September comes, we get one mature buck that starts showing up on trail camera. That's the wide eight. Big bodied definitely an older deer, uh, just a wide eight pointer, not very much going from an antler growth standpoint, but I was stoked because he was definitely a mature deer. And, uh, that's what I was shooting for. So we had tried to do one basic improvement. Basically we weren't able to, and we talked about this already, but, um, just to recap, just did not have time to do any really significant changes to the property because of the filming schedule and the logistics of everything. So all we basically got to do were, were, were plant some food plots. And the food plots were supposed to be a blend of a variety of different things um, that would provide a lot of attraction over the course of the whole hunting season and beyond. Um, but I, I was trying a new way of planting. I was trying to do everything no-till this year. Uh, so without diving too deep into that, it just it just amounted to a very different way of planting stuff that's better for the soil, better for the environment, better hopefully in a lot of different ways. But what ended up happening is that it didn't turn out very good for me on the back 40. Most, most of the blend that I planted did not come up. I basically just got some cereal grains, like oats came up. Um, and that was kind of it. And oats are attractive earlier in the year. They're typically not very attractive later in the year. Now, that can be different based on where you're at. But for me, um, that's it's just not a home run once you get into November or later. Well, that's all we had, though. So early in the season, early in October, there was a decent number of does feeding in those fields. I got some trail camera pictures of the wide eight feeding in those fields. I, I thought it was going to be good. Like you said, I was feeling, okay, we're coming along. Stuff's only going to get better as we get into the rut. But as we got towards the rut, as the pre-rut arrived, and once the rut got cranking, fewer and fewer and fewer deer being sighted. Um, just did yeah. not see many deer at all. Now, we never saw a ton of deer out there. Um, but I think here's the things that could be to blame. Number one, we just didn't have enough good food on the farm. We had that, basically those oats. We didn't have a lot of them planted and they very quickly went from like a, a decent food source to a food source that deer weren't really hitting very much at all. I'm used to hunting spots with, you know, a food source. You're going to have a good number of deer, a good number of does passing through every day in the morning, every day in the evening, coming in and out, coming in and out, um, something here you would hunt what looks like a terrific food source and you'd see one deer a day or something like that. Yeah. And, and we're, I'm hunting it as, as much as I possibly can. Now it is, this is a new thing for me. It's hard because it's not just me hunting. It's me and a cameraman. And on all of our hunts so far, there's also been a guest and a cameraman every time. So you've got four guys going in and out of this property every time you hunt, um, which made 
an impact, I'm sure. We, I did everything I possibly could to reduce the impact, but I'm sure it made an impact. So that's happening. And then we're just not seeing these deer like I thought we would. And I think it's number one, the food source we have was not very attractive compared to what was around us. Around yeah. me is a lot of good properties with a lot of guys that are managing deer, I've come to find, and a lot of people with great food plots. And then secondly, just like you have, thousands of acres of standing corn all around us. So on three different sides are standing corn fields just off of the neighboring property, sort of. So I can't hunt the edge of the standing corn where you might be able to take advantage of something, um, but it's there. So there's not much bedding on our farm. Our farm, secondly, has these big open fields that I was hoping would grow in and be thick and hopefully still get used by deer even this year before we get to improve them. Turns out they're pretty much deer deserts right now. Um, no deer bedding in them. Very few deer pass through them. So more than 50% of the farm is this desert. All we had is this swamp. Um, and, and so I could hunt the swamp some, and I did, and that's where I ultimately had some success. Uh, but I couldn't take the guests in there because all the guests had to hunt from ground blinds. Um, you can't see anything in there from a ground blind. So there was different challenges like that as I was trying to balance all the different things going on. Uh, but I think the standing corn was a, was a big factor. I think not having quality food on the farm was a factor because there was so much of it everywhere else. Um, the old fields being a desert were a factor. Having this increased amount of impact compared to what I would typically do was probably a factor. And then, I don't know, maybe it's just, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know what else it could be, but those are the theories I have so far um, that led me to the point where October 26th, 27th, 28th, which are historically pretty darn good days around here, at least for seeing young bucks bumping around and doing things, we saw almost nothing. Yeah. That was very disappointing. That sucks, man. Yeah. So that whole thing was frustrating. But then, so that happened, but I said, okay, that's all right. It's back to my other main Michigan property, which in late October, it's usually the very best time of year on this farm. I've had all sorts of good encounters with mature bucks at that time of year on this farm, feeling good. I decided, okay, it's time to get serious about trying to kill Tran. I basically left him alone the whole month of October, other than very the very, very beginning. Now it's time to get after him. Um, and... I will fast forward through the whole last week of October, though, and basically tell you that nothing worked out. I didn't see him, wasn't seeing him, wasn't seeing any of the mature bucks, wasn't seeing any kind of pre-rep behavior. Um, I wasn't diving into bedding areas or anything. I was still playing it safer, um, but that was disappointing as well. It just wasn't happening for me. Around the same time, I also started looking at some more pictures of this other buck I was seeing on the farm. So I told you about that big nine-pointer I passed on. Right. You know about Tran. He's the four and a half year old that I definitely want to shoot. He's a four year old, big eight pointer, two years of history. Uh, but then there's a third deer. And this third deer showed up a lot during the summer. He was the first buck I got on trail camera in the summer. Made probably the most consistent on camera, most consistent to see out in the fields. And uh, we started calling him RB, which is short for risky business, because he was gonna be <laughs> he was gonna be a buck that came in and you'd really want to shoot him but he's probably just a three-year-old and I really wanted to try to hold out for a four-year-old this year, specifically Tran. If not Tran, then a buck that's like a no brainer. Yes. He's a mature four-year-old or buck. Um, and this buck in the summer, I'm thinking, okay, he's three, but then I'm looking at trail camera pictures in middle and late October. And now I'm thinking, man, he looks like he's got a bigger body. Maybe he is four. And I'm thinking I'm back and forth, back and forth. And, 
I, basically the, this whole last week of October, I keep on looking at pictures. And I'm like, if he shows up and if he looks like a tank, I might have to shoot him. Um, cause he might be, I don't know. And then I go back and I look at other trail camera pictures from last year. And I see a buck last year that really looks like it could be this deer, but he was definitely a two year old last year. Like there's no way he could be a three year old last year. So now I'm thinking, okay, no, he's gotta be three. But then, you know, the next day that I'm like, but maybe it's not him. And so I just had this whole thing going on in my head. Halloween arrives, snowstorm hits. I see Tran for the first time during hunting season. Basically, he's on the neighbors. He chases a doe towards me. The doe turns, runs out into a field across the way. He follows her. Very exciting. Uh, Finally got to see the buck I'm after, but, you know, wasn't really in threat of actually shooting him. November 1st arrives. Now it's time to get serious about getting into those bedding areas. And I will say one of the nice things for me um, over the last year or two, definitely this year, sort of like you said, that good feeling you get when you start to realize like my strategy works, things are clicking, I'm figuring things out. Um, So this property I've talked about, I've talked about a lot over the years, but it's, it's a 87 acre farm of which about half of it is the big open fields. So I've got like 40 to 45 acres of like huntable stuff. That's either some swamp or edges of the little of the edges of the field that I can hunt uh, or some grassy stuff or some kind of thin strips of timber that poke out into that field. That's what this farm looks like. Um, The early years I hunted here, I hunted a lot of field edge, some of the food plots and you know, I had some sightings, had some encounters, but wasn't getting a lot of shot opportunities at the old buck or two that might be out there. Finally, I started realizing where these best doe bedding areas are on the back of the farm. And now every year for the past few years, I've been putting my time in back there in the mornings and I'm having encounters and I'm getting shots at better deer. And so that's what happened on the morning of November 1st. I sat back at the downwind side of one of these doe bedding areas kind of where a whole lot of movement pinches in where there's kind of a chunk of timber in a swamp on the south side and then a thin strip of timber in the middle with some doe bedding in it and then a bigger chunk of timber to the north and so it's it's downwind of a doe bedding area and a pinch and it's it's dynamite because of that so i see a lot of young bucks coming through everything that passes through this area comes within range i mean it's perfect and i see a big set of antlers coming through the timber towards me but kind of angling away I fire off a grunt and that deer turns and starts walking right at me and look through my <laughs> that binos. That is the best feeling. That is the best feeling where it really you is. do that, that contact grunt and they're just like, uh-oh, yep. what's that over there? And, and like, they turn oh, around. Oh, crap. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> um, and so that's exactly what happened. I pull a binos to get a better look and I'm like, oh, it's RB. And then the next thought I have is, oh, shit, what am I going to do? <laughs> and he's coming on a string and I'm like, ah, what am I doing right now? Should I shoot him? Should I pass him? Should I shoot him? Should I pass him? I grab my bow. He's getting closer. I get set. I get lined up. Should I shoot him? Should I pass him? Should I shoot him? Should I pass him? He's at 30 yards. He's at 25 yards. He steps into my shooting lane at 20 yards. I draw back. I put the pin behind his shoulder. Should I shoot him? Should I pass him? And I just couldn't bring myself to pull the trigger. Because if I pull the trigger, I'm done. I'm not, I, I don't ever want to take two bucks off this farm. And I know I wanted to save a tag for the back 40 still. So I was basically, I've got one buck on this property. And if I shoot RB, that means the hunt for trans done. And I just, in that moment, I just couldn't, I didn't want that to be the case. So I let him go and he walks through and man, does he look good though? As he walks away, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, he, he's, he's got a pretty good sized body on him. He's a, really nice 10 pointer. He might be like mid one thirties, 
130, 135, 10-pointer in Michigan. He'd be one of my biggest bucks in Michigan ever, uh, a buck that pretty much anyone in the state would, you know, their draw would drop for most guys. Um, and so I'm sitting there thinking, am I the stupidest person in the world? Did I just do that? But at the same time, you know, I just wanted to still hunt Tram. So that happened. Um, I will fast forward from there. That great encounter happened. Still chasing Tran. Next day, have an encounter with Tran. This was my best encounter with Tran up to that point and really for the rest of the season. I move about 100 yards from that location to the downwind side of another bedding area. It's kind of, there's a, a sort of a line of doe bedding areas on this property. And I just hunt on the downwind side of this line. And in various points, you're going to get bucks to come cruising through there. And there's a few kind of pinches where the travel gets narrowed down a little bit more. I hunted one where I had that RB encounter. I moved up to the next one for the next day. And first thing in the morning, I hear some noise behind me. I look, I see Tran like 40 yards away in this really thick stuff. I can't shoot into it. It's not even shooting light yet, but I see him. I'm like, holy crap. Um, the basic gist of this, I think I, I think I mentioned this story already to Spencer on a rut fresh radio episode. Um, basic gist of it is that he ended up being in this thick, nasty stuff just behind me with a doe and he popped out eventually, maybe 20 minutes later. And I can see him now. Finally, he's at like 45 or 50 yards and he's locked on a doe and nothing I could do was going to get him to come the next 10, 15 yards, get closer to me. And he followed that doe off into the neighbors and then he circled back and chased surprisingly chased a group of four does towards me got to like 45 40 and but no shot opportunity and then stopped and turned and went back towards that original doe and and that was that was this one really close and call with Tran. i thought man it's gonna happen when he came man. in that second time he looks amazing i mean just a huge mainframe eight pointer um at least for around here and it was really exciting not quite close enough and uh and then you know i so repositioned was this a was this a like that was the closest that you got to him that was the closest i ever did end up getting to him man so like 40 45 yards is probably about where he was at um at 45 yards at all did he have an opening oh like could i shot him at 45 yeah. yards no cuz he no. came he came running in facing me and then immediately spun away and went the other way because um, he was chasing those four does. And so ran behind the does, stopped, turned, and ran right back towards the original doe he was with. Um, so no. I, I I think the only time I really could have taken a shot, and I, I would never shoot this far, but he, like, he was broadside at 60, just standing yeah. there with the doe for a long time, um, but never presented a real shot um, within my range. Yeah. So I, I moved, that next day, that day I, I got down from the tree, ran back, Got went to my house, got a got a saddle and sticks, came back in there and repositioned thirty yards to get to where those deer had been coming in and out. I hoped that that same doe would start, cycle back in and give me a shot this time. Didn't happen. Um, then I had to leave the next day. I think it was because that was when we were going to start filming on the back forty. Um, so that was a bummer. But I'll, I'll skip what happened in the back forty to continue the trans story. Um, so I, I took a seven day break in the middle because we had a scheduled time with the camera crew to be at the back 40. Um, so I already told you what happened with my dad. Had that happened, I had four or five days that I got to hunt myself and another guy, Ben O'Brien was there hunting too. So that all happens. 
I come back. It's maybe the, oh, I don't know. Um, well, no, this is when I took two days off to get back with the family. Took two days, tried to, you know, help out around the house, just get the family feeling good. And one of those nights, I I was, of course, there with the family, but I had to at least try to glass one of the fields one night. <laughs> so I get out there and glass a field, and Tran comes out on the night of the 10th, bumping does around. So I'm like, ah, he's there. I, mean, I was excited. Within still shooting there. range of one of your stands? Uh, let me think about this. Nah, not really. Um, if I had sat that infamous hay bale blind, <laughs> I probably could have, I maybe could have got, if I shot, if I sat in the poop blind, I maybe would have had a long shot at him. Um, but not like a gimme shot, but he was definitely in the zone. Um, so then I get back out there the next day and I have now four days left before gun season. And I go back in the next morning to one of these bedding areas and I see this doe behind me and there's a whole bunch of different bucks, kind of young bucks passing through and does passing through. I'm downwind of this bedding, doe bedding area again. And I see this one doe behind me and she's maybe 45 yards away. And I, I notice her. She's just standing there still kind of looking around. And so I, I look, I glass around her, try to see, is there, is there buck following behind her? Is there a buck there? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay. Keep looking. There's other activity in front of me. I'm watching this. I'm watching this side. I look back, that doe's still standing there. What's she doing? I look around, look around, can't see anything. Okay. Now I got to focus back on the front again. Another young buck passes through. Well, I don't know how long this went on for, maybe 45 minutes, an hour. Um, I look back there and that damn doe is still there. And I think, golly, that doe is acting like a locked down doe. She's acting like she's just standing here. The only time I ever see a doe just stand kind of in the open, she was right in the edge of this thicket. Um, is if she's, you know, if a buck and a door locked down and she's just standing there and I keep thinking, man, is there a buck standing with her? And I just can't see her. And as I have this thought, I pull up my binos again to look one more time and there's a buck right behind her and it's Tran. I'm like, holy crap, there he is right there. But they're directly downwind of me. This is like the, the one area. Well, not directly downwind of me, I guess it'd be, but sort of downwind of me. And yeah. he, she, she's been standing there this whole time. He is, I don't know if, I don't, what I don't know is if he had been there, was he standing with her, but just inside the thick stuff this whole time and I never knew it, or was he just cruising through and I happened to look that time that he passed through. I don't know which it was, but he, I see him there for a second and he's walking straight away into the next bedding area down and I can't grunt to him or do anything because just like you said, he's downwind of me or very close to being downwind of me. I don't want to encourage him to get spooked anymore. He disappears. Um, I continue to try to take stabs at him. I hunt these bedding areas in the mornings. In the evenings, there's two main food sources. There's a cut bean field on one side of the farm. There's a standing cornfield on the other side. I kind of bounce back and forth. If I saw him, like those days I saw him up in the north bedding area, I would say, okay, best chances he's going to be with the doe on the north side. They'll go to the bean field. If I saw him in the south bedding area, there's a slightly better chance he might come out with her to the south field there in the cornfields to try to hunt closer to that. I ended up seeing him one more night um, off the north field in the neighbor's bedding area and nothing that I could possibly take a shot at. I actually saw him on the neighbor's bedding area, gave him a grunt, and he circled several hundred yards. And I could I can see him multiple different times because he's passing through bushes and uh, 
autumn olive bushes and different crap like that. So he disappears, then he shows up, then he disappears, shows up. You can see him go all the way from almost due north of me to all the way almost due south to get downwind. So he passes towards, last time I saw him, he was heading towards my downwind side. I couldn't see my downwind side um, because there's some thick stuff there. And uh, he probably went downwind of me. I don't know. Um, So that was disappointing. And this takes me to my last morning. My last day. I think what date is this? November 14th. November 14th, okay. Yeah. And maybe I can't remember if the encounter I'm about to tell you about happened on the morning of the 13th or the morning of the 14th. But um, there's basically two more encounters worth mentioning. This one is back downwind of that doe bedding area that I first talked about um, where I passed on RB on November 1st. I go back there again. It's, I think, probably my best spot because it's, it's downward of the doe bedding area and it's the best little pinch I have there of sorts. So I've, I kind of came to see this year that there's, if, if it's going to happen, that's one of the very best chances of where it might happen. So I'm sitting there again and I look behind me and I see a big rack coming my way. I get excited, pull up the binos. It's RB again. And sure as shit, here he comes. And now I'm thinking, uh, should I shoot him? Should I pass him? <laughs> Should I shoot him? It's now, you know, almost both seasons almost done. Uh, ah, he's a pretty nice buck. I still don't know. I still hadn't made a decision up to this point. Even all or this whole time I kept thinking about it and still was like, I would go, I would say, no, you passed on him once. You want to kill Tran, just stick with it. And then a day later, though, I'd be like, man, your wife's pregnant and tired. Your sons, you know, would love to see his dad. If you shot this buck, you'd be done. You wouldn't, you wouldn't feel the pressure to keep hunting anymore. Maybe you should just end the season. Just get it done with. And then I'd go back and I'd say, man, if you shoot this buck, you're going to feel a little let down. You're going to, you're going to walk up to him and be like, ah, oh, he's a nice buck. Um, but in the back of your mind, you know, you're going to be bummed that you're not chasing train. You'll be bummed that you gave in or that you settled. Um, so this whole thing's been playing on my head over and over and over again. So he passes by like 15, 20 yards, and I don't even grab my bow this time. I just film him with my phone and say, you know what? You you made your decision. You're not going to settle. You're not going to change your goal. He's an awesome buck. Hopefully he makes it to next year. You really want to keep kill trans, stick with it. And so I will watch him go. He passes by. Easy chip shot, goes on through. Now I have the same feelings. I'm like, gosh, are you an idiot, Mark? What are you doing? Go through the whole thing. 20 minutes later, I hear a snap. Here he is again, walking right through. And this time I grab my bow. (laughs) 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 I'm like, damn it, damn it, Mark, just get it done with. So then I grab my bow and I I start to get in position. Like maybe I should just shoot him. I'm about to draw back and then a doe pops in and he jogs off after and and I didn't have to, I didn't have to make the decision again. So that was that. With I was RB. there this. I, I was there this year too with that three year old, that, that eleven pointer three year old that I passed, probably low one fifties. I Ooh. passed him like uh, high one forties, low one fifties. I, I passed him three different times this year, and I mean like at ten yards, three different times. Yeah. And the first time was like, oh, okay, we're not gonna pass. The second time was like, well, the rut is kind of we're in the middle of the rut, and then the last time was like. It could be over right now. Right. It could all be over right now. <laughs> Man, it's it's a tough one. I don't know. I still have been debating back and forth. Yeah, you know what's the right thing? I, so there's all these different things going through your mind. Like I, I just mentioned a whole bunch of them. I had this original goal. I want to shoot for, for sure mature buck now. 
and Terrain's really, really the one I want to shoot. But if a, if a mystery buck came through that I saw that was no doubt about it, a tanker, I would have taken a crack at him too, probably at this point. But I still was just so unsure about him. Like I could convince myself one day that maybe he's four, and then the next day, like, no, he's probably three. And and I just didn't want to do that. But on the other hand, you know, I post it on social media, and then you got all these guys saying, "Oh my God, why don't you shoot? Why don't you shoot? What are you doing?" And then for a half second, you let that influence you. You're like, should I have shot? Am I an idiot? And like, no, you can't listen. You can't listen to these people. And then your buddies text you and your buddies say, dude, what are you thinking? You're not going to see another buck like that in Michigan. That'd be your, you know, second biggest archery buck in Michigan. You got to shoot that deer. And that's like, no, no, you got to stick with what you want to do. Um, and then this other weird side of you says, man, you know, you, you work in the hunting industry. People are wanting to see that you know what you're talking about. You never shoot anything because you're passed on these deer. And then I said, no, you can't let that influence you. But like that debate, all these different voices, the angel and the devil on your shoulder saying, do this, do that, do this, do that. Um, that was very much the story for my rut with this deer. Um, having those opportunities, having that other big nine I passed on. I passed on a really nice eight-pointer. Oh, my first day in North Dakota, I passed on more bucks this year of like nice, nice bucks for me than I ever have. I've never done that. I, I had four shot opportunities this year in Michigan at a three and a half year old buck in Michigan um, with my bow, which is a big deal around here. Um, and I passed on them all, you know, just a few years ago, a three and a half year old was my target around here. So right. it's it. Part of me is like, what are you doing? And part of me says, hey, that's pretty damn cool, Mark, that you can pass that. You don't need to shoot that deer anymore. Keep it going. Keep yeah. keep pushing yourself. Um, that's fun. So uh, that all said, though, I had this like roller coaster of emotions of like, wow, this is awesome. Seeing really nice yeah. deer and passing it to then are you making a mistake? Are you just out here and, you know, that buck's going to get killed as soon as gun season comes in and trans probably going to get killed by someone in gun season and you'll have nothing to hunt and nothing to show for all the time you put in. And so where, where I settled on was the fact that, you know, I'm going to hunt for why I really want to hunt. I'm not going to shoot a deer unless it's really, really, really going to be the deer that, um, that I'm excited about and that I've worked for. And in this case I had those goals and I want to stick to those goals and it's going to be Tran or, you know, if a surprise four or five year old buck shows up, um, that's amazing. Um, but I'm not going to settle because someone else says I should shoot. So that's where I ended up. And the last night of the hunting season, I decided to hunt a spot I haven't hunted yet all year. Um, it's, it's a weird spot. It's right in the edge of the best bedding area around, but I can't hunt the bedding area. It's the neighbors. So I have to hunt the edge of a cut bean field. Um, that said, I've seen this buck go out in that field multiple times, several of the sightings he crossed along through there and many bucks in the past I've hunted have passed within range of the shooting of this tree stand. So I sat there with a risky wind. I knew it was a risky wind, but it was the last night before gun season and I said, screw it. I'm going to throw a Hail Mary and, you know, basically blowing out the top quarter of this bedding area, hoping that my buck would come out in the bottom three quarters and uh, Tran came out. But he came out in the top quarter, stepped out right downwind to me, 200 yards away, and I could see him on the neighbors. And he just stood there, looked in my direction for a few seconds, and then just kept on going. Um, so I'm sure he got smell of something. And that was that. And that was the end of the bow season. Uh, I do not know if Tran has made it through the last few days of gun season or not. I don't know if RB has made it. I don't know if the Big Nines made it. Um, but that was my... That was my bow season on the main Michigan farm. 
it's uh, just a lot of question marks around shot decisions and holding out for one deer and the excitement of that versus the stress of that. Um, that's kind of where my head's been. Um, but that I, I've totally skipped over the one really good thing that happened during the rut, which was uh, surprisingly in the place where I saw the least activity. So one second. Yes. In regards to Tran. Uh, not only Tran, but you've had, I mean, you've played cat and mouse on your, your property before with Holyfield, right? And then so Frank it's not like it's anything. Yeah. yeah. And Frank. So it's not like it's anything new, right? Six shooter before that. Yeah. Yeah. So deer do become, do get old in your area, it, it, around that area. They, there's, there's a chance they can make it. The cool thing yep. is passing this buck it just solidifies that you're now potentially going to have a, another shooter to chase next year, right? Yeah, Not just one, but two. That's the hope. You just yeah. never know. Um, yeah. And I keep on, I keep on waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? I mean, I, I keep on, I've been lucky to have some of these bucks make it year after year. That is really unique. You know, you, you know, a bunch of my hunting buddies, um, Andy and Dustin and Josh and Ross and Peter and those guys and Corey, and they're constantly giving me crap about how nobody else in Michigan gets a chance to see these bucks year after year. Like I'm in some little weird microcosm or some weird sphere that's protecting these bucks because all my buddies, all their deer get killed every year once the 15th hits. Like that's the group text message thread going on right now. Everyone's sharing pictures of the bucks that hunted all bow season that are now dead. They've shown up on somebody else's buck poll or Facebook page. And I've been lucky that I have been able to get at least one buck that I've seen previously is back every year um, for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years now. Uh, but I just keep on, you know, worrying that next year is going to change. And there's more people coming in to the area. I've, I've met, there's some new hunters. Someone just bought a farm, one property away from me who's really into hunting. Found out there's some two guys leasing a neighboring farm now that are really into hunting. There's a guy that usually didn't hunt his property. He just moved back. So he's going to be hunting more. Um, had a person come in trespassing from somewhere else that I spotted one day. So there's like people are, there's more and more people. There's always been a lot of people, but now I keep on feeling like, is this going to change things? Uh, I don't know. So there's worries, but there's hope because yes, there have been deer that make it through and it's possible. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But you killed something, dude. I did. You slayed. I did kill something. Um, so in the middle of all these things, I did have that week on the back 40, um, of which four days were me, mine to hunt. I got to hunt four days, a few days there with my dad, but the four days prior to that, I was hunting on my own. And, uh, and the long story short of it is went in on November, starting November 3rd, went in hunting the best spots. I had the spot I was calling the honey hole. I'd saved it all season. Haven't touched it. It's, it's native blue, uh, native, uh, uh, big blue stem grass and cedars and all this thick shrubby autumn olives and different things on this ridge next to the swamp. Super cool little area. I knew there's deer bedding in there. I've been getting pictures of the wide eight coming in and out of it. I had a camera near the edge of this thing. So I went in there and hunted it the first day, expecting to see all sorts of bucks cruising this ridge and nothing. Like we saw a couple does and a year and a half old. And then that night, uh, a two and a half year old buck came out, but much, much slower than I was expecting. And the next two days it was the same kind of thing. Just a few does, a year and a half old, um, like we talked about earlier, the whole thing about why this property has been much slower than I expected. 
if that that's what I just sat and thought about for three days. Why is this yeah. like this? Um, it's November, you know, it's November 3rd, 4th, 5th. It should be great. Um, but the third day, it was either the third or fourth day, I decided, all right, we got to switch it up to a new spot. So I had another spot that I prepped that was at the inside corner of where one of our old fields came down the ridge and pushed into the edge of the swamp. So there's an inside corner of this field that juts into the swamp. And that ridge with the honey hole, that thick ridge, drops down at the same point too. So the ridge pinches to the edge of the swamp and the field pinches to the edge of the swamp. And I thought to myself, gosh, if anything is cruising the edge of the swamp or cruising the ridge, and if they want to stay in the cover but not be in the really wet stuff, they've got to come right through this edge. Set up there, hunted it, not seeing much at all, could hear a buck chasing a doe in the thick swamp but could never see them. And it's 9.30 in the morning. Not a single buck has come cruising through. I'm just having these same thoughts in my mind, like what is going on? Why are there not a few bucks cruising through here? Why am I not seeing some two-year-olds? Like, this is a good area. I know it's a good area. I know who's around here. I, I've, I've talked to the neighbors now. I know that there's deer in the zone. Um, it's it's a it's got a lot of good things going for it. This property does. We should be seeing something. And nine thirty hits, and I'm like, all right, I'm getting a snack. So I bust out a bag of Chex Mix. And I'm eating some Chex Mix, and I look over my shoulder on the hill behind me, and I see a buck running across this old brushy field and immediately I'm like, that's a good buck. Pull my binos and I realized that's the wide eight and he's running across this field behind me, grab my grunt tube, do the exact same thing we talked about earlier, just let off a brah and he stops on a dime. He looks right at me and then starts coming in and I'm like, holy shit, he's coming right to me. <laughs> and that's like, man, that is so satisfying. I don't like, I know I've already said this, but like, it's like boner worthy. <laughs> like, <laughs> when you can do that, it's like, I am in control of you from this point on. You know it what is, I mean? It is one of the absolute coolest things. Yes. Like that is one of the very best moments as a hunter. When you hit that grunt and they, they spin and that the moment is when you, when you know it's happening, like, Oh, it worked. Here he comes. Yeah. They stop and they just turn and they look yeah. back in your way and you're like, gotcha, mother. Oh, I'm sorry. Here he comes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Uh, we're very excited. Um, and, and so, yeah, he, he comes in and basically is coming in on a rope and then he starts to angle south again. And then I think in my head, oh crap, he's heading right towards my wind and he's going right downwind. And now I'm thinking, oh geez, it's game over. And he stops puts his nose up in the air, sniff, 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 keeps looking, sniff, 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 keeps looking. And like, this is the moment of truth. Like it's going to, either he's going to bust out of here or it's going to happen. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Assuming any second now he's going to kick up his white flag and tear out of there. And my scent control worked and he's kept, he puts his head back down and keeps coming right in. I'm like, yes. oh my gosh, yes. Beat him twice. It's happening. And he walks straight in on like dead to me head on to like 15 yards, but he's facing me at 15 yards and he stops right in my shooting lane and he was doing the head scan. Now he's like, where's the buck? Where's the buck? He's looking, 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 and I can't shoot. And now I'm thinking, oh no, like what's going to happen here? But I'm ready. I'm locked in. I'm, I'm using my silverback uh, back tension release for the first time. Um, not for the first time, but I'm going to get a shot for the first time, hopefully. And then he turns and starts to jog 
and I have a tree. This he's out of my shooting line now. There's a tree with a bunch of like vines on it, grape vines or something. And there's one little hole in the vines. And so he's kind of starts to jog that direction and he gets to that one hole and I just rat and he stops and I pull back and let her rip and double lunged him. And you yeah. can just see him mule kick and run up the hill and run towards this fencer over there and crashes into the woods there. And you can just see all the trees like shaking, 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 shaking. And then it stopped. Yeah. And, um, and then it was just, I uh, love that. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the perfect thing. It's the perfect, it's almost like the perfect hunt. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, and what was, what was unique about this? And I haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about the build up to this because I spent so much time talking about Tran. Um, but there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes on this hunt that made that moment really special for me. Um, because, you know, we, I hunted it in the early season. Then we hunted again with Doug late October. And then we hunted it for this period during the rut. Um, but then there'd also been all this time in the spring and summer that I've been trying to get this project off the ground and then trying to get this property set up and then trying to get people out here to see it and share their thoughts. Um, but really there was this whole other side of things that we don't have to get into, but this is like a very different kind of project for me. Right. I mean, kind of like filming my first TV show and there's all these, a lot of people involved and a lot of stuff going on and a lot of, a lot of doubts and questions and criticisms. And, um, for me, it was just a very stressful summer and fall trying to make this thing work. Um, a lot of late nights on the phone, rewriting things, changing things, trying to change plans, trying to make it work. Um, in all of that, then I shoot this buck and, and up to this point where I had taken this buck, I'm thinking, man, this thing is yeah. a bust. I mean, this is horrible. Everything's yeah. gone wrong. Uh, I'm a horrible host. No one's going to be interested in this. I can't even see a half decent buck. Um, and then this thing happens in a split second and it all changes. And, you know, the buck that I'd been hoping to see and that I talked about the most and that we thought we might have a chance to see all of a sudden he's there and I get a shot and he's down and, all of these 10,000 things added up to or added to all the regular hunting excitement all built up and then like overflowed out of me. And I had the most emotion filled moment I think I've ever had as a hunter. I just kind of broke down. I've never had that happen before. Um, but I just kind of was overwhelmed by everything and I kind of just lost it for five minutes. And, uh, it was a really, it was a really uh, I don't even know what the right words are, but it was one of those moments that as a hunter, it's so much more than just like shooting a deer, you know, yeah. like that was, that was the actual physical action that took place, but what it represented and what it culminated was so, so, so much more. And, and, and it's probably not fair to the deer to put all that on that deer, you know, all these other emotions, all these other things that were building up inside of me, but it all got put on this moment and, um, led to a really just, uh, I don't know. I was very, very thankful, really, really excited. Very, very happy. Just like you said, uh, a whole lot of stuff came together there in that moment. And, uh, reminds you why you hunt. Cause, cause you can have that kind of emotional experience out there in the woods. And, uh, and like you said, get some great meat out of it, have some great memories. Uh, 
you know, got to share it with my dad because he showed up a couple days later and got to see the deer and got to show my son the buck and, uh, you know, he got a thrill out of that. And the buck, I, I've, because of the cold weather, I've just hung the buck up behind the barn and so it's still hanging there, just letting it hang. And so every day my son wants to go out there and see the buck and touch it and uh, just say buck, buck, buck over and over again. <laughs> and uh, that's what it's all about. So it was a really cool way to uh, to see a lot of work come to fruition. That's awesome, dude. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you had that moment and those moments, like, I don't, I don't like to like focus so hard on the cherry on top, which is the kill I feel. But when you can have that moment, that's so just feels so right. Like me, I was just so overjoyed and you got, you got a little emotional and, um, and I think that when you can, stop putting if you you can relieve the pressure like there for me one thing i've i feel like i've learned how to do over the last several years ever since i stopped uh filming my hunts uh, and not saying that i'm not ever going to do it again but taking everybody out of the equation that's not you and that's not the animal and uh, and and taking out all the things that don't matter then I think you can enjoy hunting that much more. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that I'm constantly battling with. Um, and I've gotten to a point where I handle it much better, but I, I still have those back and forth in my mind. I, I end up in the right place, but sometimes it takes me, you know, some sitting there and like, ah, but what about this? What about this? And then no, you know, it's about you and your experience and this hunt. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting there. I can't say I still don't have some stress in between. Um, but yes, that is the way to, that is the way to enjoy this stuff the most is to shut out all the outside noise and just hunt, yeah. hunt your hunt, enjoy it, enjoy the process. Don't be so, I mean, I'm always, I'm an interesting, con, or I have, I have an interesting conundrum because I always like to talk the big game to myself right, and, right. and externally, which is give it your all put it all in the field, work, 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 don't give up, be strong, push through the tough times. Um, and that's what I'm always telling myself because, you know, that's what leads you to success. Um, but then I also have this other side of me that's telling myself, you don't need to take it so seriously too. Like, right. remember to enjoy it. Remember to enjoy the process. Remember to have fun. Remember to, you know, take some time off during the rut to sit with your dad and tell stories because that means a whole lot more than sitting in a tree and trying to shoot a deer in the big scammy things. So I think that, that family and balancing your drive with bigger things and priorities and all that is like what I take away from this hunting season. I don't know if I, if I, I don't know if I can wrap it up in like a succinct way, but yeah. I think over the course of the last two hours between your story and mine, I think that's kind of the moral of our story in general. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I just, I love this. And every year I say, I say it, I just love it so much. And I'm glad I have a wife who, you know, I'm not going to say lets me go. Cause I, I feel like that's unfair to say like someone is letting you do something, but works with me and, you know, gives me the opportunity and the freedom and understands is starting to understand a little more every year 
how this all comes together for, you know, for me and the passion that's there. And I don't know, I just feel like when a person can focus on themselves and the animal and their scenarios that there's a cloud that's lifted off and they just get so much more enjoyment out of it. And, um, like for me, I don't even think about anybody else. I want other hunters to be successful, but I'm going to celebrate what they've done regardless of how big the antlers are. I give zero about the antlers on deer. Like I, I just like when people measure their success on the antlers, you, you are losing your take. You are losing. You're losing. I don't, I, that's my opinion. Yeah. I hear you there. I'll, I'll, I'll start getting fired up if we keep talking about that. (laughs) Dude, congrats on such an awesome season. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? It was, it was a really cool, it was a really cool hunt. And, uh, and the season's not done for me. I'm I'm going to keep at it. Um, still want to hopefully have a shot Tran, but I will say that maybe, maybe what I got from this season so far is to control what you can control. There are certain things you can control, like your effort, like your priorities, like when you decide to shoot, when you don't to shoot, when you hunt, when you don't hunt, where you go, control those things and do the best you can with that. But when it comes to what you can't control, recognize what you can't control and stop giving and stop giving shits about it. Cause if you can't control it, let it go. Whether that be what somebody else thinks about your decision whether that be if someone else shoots your target buck, whether that be if the deer just aren't there in your farm and, and, and you're having really slow sits, if you can't control it, there's no point in stressing about it and worrying about it and letting it ruin your hunting experience. Yeah. That's a fact, Jack. That is a fact. And I think maybe with that, we should shut down this marathon uh, <laughs> story time <laughs> podcast. Yeah. That's a fact. I got to pee you really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, then get out of here. Go, uh, go drain the tank, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. And that's going to do it for us today. Just a couple quick reminders. If you haven't checked out my new book, That Wild Country, would highly recommend it and appreciate it if you'd be willing to pick up a copy. You can find it on Amazon from now through the beginning of December, and then from December 1st on, you'll be able to pick it up just about anywhere you can find books. A lot more to come on that soon. Otherwise, follow me on the Wired to Hunt Instagram account for more updates on recent trips, upcoming hunts, and all that good stuff. And otherwise, thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate your support. And until next time, good luck hunting and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank, 
hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.